If you have your Bibles, let's take them and uh, turn to the book of Ephesians as we keep looking our way uh, through this, um, through this uh, great book. And it's about, um, I don't know, five-eighths of the way through. And if you don't have a Bible, you're certainly welcome to take one from the seat in front of you and um, follow us through there. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Father, thank you as we turn our attention now to your word for your word. Um, thank you that we have this, um, this written word that you have preserved over many thousands of years for our benefit and for our good. For in this word we find you revealed, in this word we find salvation revealed, in this word we find Christ revealed, in this word we find our need revealed, in this word we find how all of those things come together to bring incredible glory to your name. Father, I pray that once again you will take this book that is um, sometimes difficult for us to understand and would you make it live? Would you make it come alive? Would you give it activity in our hearts and in our lives because of the work of the Spirit of God? And would you teach us even again today what it is to be thankful for the things that we have in Christ? We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. As I think about Thanksgiving um, and uh, related even to this passage, I understand when we have a certain perspective of life that doesn't take into account spiritual realities that sometimes it's hard to be thankful uh, we look around at our circumstances, and they might be health, they might be financial, they might be our living conditions, they might be our job, and we would find reason maybe in those things to have it, find it hard to be thankful. But when you come to scriptures and begin to find the perspective that the Bible gives about the spiritual realities of our lives, and begin to understand that we have a, a God that has created this world and has a plan and knows the beginning from the end, when you put your life into those sorts of truths and realities, then it's much more, uh, easy. much more easy. It's easier to be thankful because then you can entrust yourself to a God who knows what he's doing and will take care of you. I, have, uh, I was reading again these last couple of weeks those 
verses in Scripture, which I, I think we have a hard time with, but nonetheless, they are to be part of our lives. And one is from Thessalonians, where it says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for your lives in Christ Jesus. That's a really hard statement for us to to, to wrestle with in our lives. In everything, give thanks. It doesn't seem to me that there's any exceptions there. It doesn't say in most things. It doesn't say in the happy things. It doesn't say in the, you know, in the things between your 20s. It says in everything, give thanks. And not only that, it's God's will for your life. Uh, and the, the other verse that we read, uh, we heard it twice now, be anxious for nothing about or anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. There are other verses that we can turn to that just suggest that thanksgiving is to pervade our lives. And so we come to that and, and we, we, we see some of the spiritual realities that give context to our thanksgiving. Paul has been uh, going through the first uh, couple chapters of Ephesians and just saying thing after thing that God has done for us, things that should cause us to be thankful people. Uh, he, he, he might be, begin by just reminding us, you ought to be thankful that you are in Christ. You ought to be thankful that, that, that you, your life is now wrapped up with Christ and you're accepted before God. He says, I think you ought to be thankful that you are loved by the Father. Before the foundation of the world, God loved you. That's an astounding sort of reality that before you had done anything good or bad, before you had done anything right or wrong, God loved you just because God loved you. And then he goes on and he says a little bit more. He says, and I think you ought to be thankful because you have been adopted into God's family. Not only has God loved you, but as John says, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. That's an amazing thing to be thankful for. The God who has created this universe, the God that has created everything that we see around us, he has said, I want you to be my son or my daughter. Not only that, Paul says a little bit farther, he says, and not only do you, are you loved by God, not only are you adopted by God, because sometimes you can be loved by somebody, you can be adopted by somebody, but they never want you in their presence. But God says, and we have access to him through Jesus Christ. You can walk boldly into the very presence of God, the creator of this universe, and tell him about what's going on in your life. That's something to be thankful for. He talks more about, um, about the fact that we have power in our lives. We have power that's coursing through our bodies. And uh, is, is, is my power gone, Sean? Okay. I see you walking with a microphone, and I thought I'm in trouble. All right. Um, we have power. Uh, and, and it's not just any power. Uh, Paul says that, that the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead where God spoke to him and, and raised him from the dead, that same power is at work in our lives. So there is no situation, there is nothing that God will bring into our lives, there's, there's no circumstance that we can say, I'm powerless. I'm powerless over my attitude, I'm powerless over my response. Uh, there's no situation where you can say that because the power of God is working through you. I think that's something to be thankful for. He goes on and he, he says, you were once dead. And we talked about that. Dead in your sins and trespasses. We were the living dead. But because of what God has done, we now are alive. That's something to be thankful for. We were slaves to our passions, the passions of our flesh and the passions of our mind. We followed the course of this world. And God, in his grace and mercy, he freed us from that. And now we are free to serve Christ. That's something to be thankful for. 
goes on. He has so many of them that he lists. But there are so many reasons in the spiritual realm that we have to be thankful for that it's a tragedy when Christians are unthankful. We should be some of the most thankful people that are on this planet because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And as Paul begins writing to these, uh, these, the, these, these Ephesian Christians, he begins in verse 1 with that phrase, Now for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles. And he should have, he, he, he should have just skipped to verse 14, because Paul was starting to pray for them. He was thinking of all that God had done. He was thinking of all the ways that God had brought them back into a relationship with him. And at that point, he should have started to pray. But something jogged in his mind and he thought, oops, I've just said something that's maybe going to throw these people for a loop. He says, I I am a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm a prisoner because of them. And he thought, oh, how are they going to receive that? What are they going to think when, when they hear those words that Paul is a prisoner of the Lord or for the Lord Jesus Christ and he's a prisoner because of what they have done or he's a prisoner on their behalf? In other words, Paul is saying, I am thankful for my circumstances even though my circumstances mean I'm in prison because my circumstances are for your good. I was thinking um, of First Peter when I was reflecting on that and First Peter uh, tells us, That um, for what credit is there if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? We really, when we we get what we deserve because we have disobeyed or because we have broken the law, we just endure because that's what we're supposed to do. But he says, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Loved ones, as people of God, we have been called sometimes to suffer even for doing good, even for doing the right thing. And he goes on and he says, For because Christ Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. And so Paul is saying here, I'm a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner on your behalf in order that I might model Christ for you and that you might walk in Christ's footsteps. And so from Paul's perspective, you, you notice to what he says. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Nero. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says, I am a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he takes his circumstances and he puts them in a Christ-centered reality. And he, he says that, I am a prisoner because this is what Christ ordains for my life at this point. And so he submits himself to the providence of God. He submits himself to the sovereign will of God. And out of that, he can be thankful for that. And he says that not only am I a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's the benefit of you. I was reading this past um, couple weeks on um, uh, a missionary to, to the new tribes um, uh, in, in the Philistines. Uh, some of you may have heard of him, Martin Burnham. And Martin Burnham was killed about eight years ago um, by some, uh, by some uh, rebels, uh, Muslim rebels. And he and his wife were celebrating their 18th birthday on a beach in the Philippines when they were taken hostage by this uh, group of rebels. And they held the Birmhams for 376 days. During that time, Martin was often used as a servant to carry their burdens and to carry their loads and their goods, uh, often through treacherous mountain terrain. And uh, his wife tells the story of how his shoes basically were wearing out and, and he was cut and bruised and he would slip and fall. But while bearing their loads... She said he never once complained. 
viewing his servitude as a calling of God and an opportunity for the gospel. That's pretty amazing. And he says, though the, the Birminghams were an increasing, increasing risk of, of, of malnutrition, sometimes relief was got in through various relief agencies, and rather than eating all that food for themselves, it said they shared it with their captors. He said to his wife, the Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. Let's go all the way. Let's serve him all the way with gladness. And his wife tells how that the, the resolve of his thankfulness and the resolve of his glad service to the Lord became apparent when at nighttime, as they were shutting down uh, the camp, uh, they would take um, Martin and his wife and they would um, uh, uh, chain them or, or restrain them in a certain place. And the, nobody wanted to do that because every time they would take him and restrain him, he would say, thank you very much for this day. And he would thank them for what they were doing uh, and for how they had cared for him. And they hated to chain him because they couldn't handle his thankfulness. And why, why would anyone submit to being a prisoner and a servant of others with joy? Well, the answer lies in the fact that over and over in the night times, his wife would tell the story in a couple books how Martin would share the gospel again and again and again and again with his captors. See, he was living for them, and he was viewing his situation and his circumstances as something that God had ordained in order that the gospel might be taken to those Muslim captors. And so Paul is saying, my, my, I'm a prisoner not because of Nero. I'm a prisoner because this is what God has ordained, and it's for your good or for your benefit. Um, we won't look at this other than to say, if you notice um, in the first sort of five verses, Paul talks about a stewardship that he has given. That means um, uh, he, 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 is, he is responsible for, for following his master's orders in, in, in giving out the gospel. He says, I've received a stewardship. He says, I was, uh, a revelation was made known to me of the mystery of God. And we'll maybe say a couple words about that, uh, about the mystery of God. He says, I've been given insight into the mystery of Christ. And that's why I'm in prison, because I am sharing this mystery with you, this revelation to you. And a mystery was something in, in the Bible terms. It's not a mystery that we would um, normally equate, um, at least in mystery TV. Uh, a mystery in the Bible is something that is unknown until God makes it known. Um, it, it's not necessarily secret knowledge. It's just something that God has ordained to be unknown until the point at which God says, okay, now's the time to, to make it known. And so Paul, is, he's, he's amazed by the fact that God has selected him to be one of the very first people to make known this amazing revelation of God that for ages had been, had been hidden. And the revelation was in verse 6, he says there, the revelation is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, what he's saying is that we are all one. What he's saying is that the dividing walls of hostility between Gentiles and Jews have been broken down. What he's saying is that God's plan from the beginning of creation, although it was hidden and wasn't known, his plan was to bring men and women, boys and girls from every tribe, nation, tongue together into one new community, community one new humanity, one new temple. He says, that's the mystery that has been revealed to me, the amazing thing that God has done in Christ Jesus in order to not only reconcile us back to God, to make us in a right relationship with God, but to make it so that we can worship together, we who were enemies, we who hated each other, we can worship together and we can serve God together. Paul, it might be, he might have been saying to the Jews and the Gentiles, you think that we are enemies, and they were, 
and the way that they treated each other. But Paul can say now that because of the gospel, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we who are now enemies are part of one family. We are part together. And I wonder if this is the portion of the gospel that somehow stuck in, in Martin Birmham's um, mind as he was this captive for, for, for these 376 days, that he was able to, to think about the gospel and its claims, even though these were the very people that were abusing him and his wife. He had such an understanding of the mystery of God which can reconcile enemies that he knew that maybe one day, because the gospel might penetrate their hearts, that one day he might be a fellow heir with his captors. That one day they together might share the same inheritance in Christ. Maybe he thought that one day we are going to be part of the same body. Who knows if that's why God called him to the Philippines and why he was taken prisoner because God wanted the gospel to reach some of those Muslim captors. And because of his ministry, they are now part of the same gospel. Maybe because of his testimony, they are now part of the same partakers of the same promise. See, that's the mystery of the gospel, beloved. That's the amazing thing that, 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 that happens is that when God gets a hold of lives, he takes people who are estranged and who are far away from God and from one another, and he brings us together and makes us one new community. That's the amazing plan that God has worked out for us. I'm just thrilled with God's plan of salvation. I would have never thought it the way God thought it. And Paul goes on, he says, not only did I receive this amazing stewardship, this insight into this revelation, but he says, I received a, a, a ministry by God's grace. That God, he says, there's just gift after gift after gift that I've received from God. And he's received this gift now to be able to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And he, he's got three sort of groups that he talks to. And, and we can, I think, learn something from each of these groups. He says, I've been given this ministry in verse 8 in order to talk to, to, um, to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach simply means to proclaim. It means to announce. It means to declare. The Gentiles are everybody who's not a Jew. So everybody around the world who is not a Jew, that was Paul's ministry. That's a pretty big ministry. But to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever taken some time to reflect on the unsearchable riches of Christ? Do you know what the unsearchable riches of Christ are? As Paul talks about these things. The unsearchable riches of Christ to me are, are everything that's involved in salvation. The unsearchable riches of Christ mean, mean the fact that we um, we, we are redeemed. I don't think we will ever be able to plummet the depths of knowing what it is like to, or what Christ had to do and what he underwent in order that we who were slaves and captives to sin could be freed by his life and his death in order that we might have freedom in Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ, uh, I think, are come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You know, sometimes we just fight with salvation. Even though Christ says we don't contribute our salvation, we don't add anything to it, sometimes we don't rest in the fact that it's all been done in Christ. That's an unsearchable rich... That's a lot. Um, to, to know that, that it's all been done in Christ and that what He calls us to is rest and just rest in our relationship with God. What about peace? 
He says in another place, peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Isn't that a rich, isn't, isn't that something, I, I, I lost this morning, the first service. That is an unsearchable riches of Christ, peace. You can't plummet the depth of what it means to have peace with God, to have peace with one another, to be at peace within your heart because of what Christ has done. What about sanctification? Sanctification is a, is a big biblical word, but it, it simply means um, um, becoming more like Christ, so that we take off our sinfulness, we take off our anger, we take off our envy, we take off our addictions, we, we take off our hatred, we take off our lusts, we take off our envy, and those things that we could never do on our own, we could never do by ourselves. And in Christ, all of a sudden, we can now be those who are patient. We can be those who are kind. We can be those who love one another. We can be those who, who love in the way that God loves us. That's an amazing thing that Christ has done for us. That's another one of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so Paul says, I just had this privilege to tell people, you got to know what you've got in Christ. you got to know what Christ can do for you. you got to know what Christ promises you both now and in eternity. And so he says, this was given to me. And, and what staggered Paul, he says, I was the least of the least. Paul would have been very happy, happy to be a... a uh, the, the least of servants in the kingdom of God. He was just happy that God noticed him. Because he hated God. He hated Christ. He, he walked in sins. He persecuted Christians. He, he had a false view of righteousness. He, he did everything to the, to, the, to the highest degree in hatred towards God. And yet God said, I love you. God said, I will forgive you in Christ. And not only did he say, Paul, come into my family. He says, Paul, I want to give you this amazing role to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Paul was just thrilled that God would use him for his kingdom. I think we ought to be thrilled that God gives us talents and abilities to use for his kingdom. To Whether it's through song like these men did, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in our schools, whether it's in our homes or in our neighborhoods, to tell people about the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's an amazing thing that we have to tell people. And then he goes on in verse uh, 10 or 9, and he says, not only um, uh, you know, am I to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, but he says, I'm to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and the mystery hidden, in a- hidden for ages in God who created all things. This isn't just a repeat of verse 8. He uses a different word here. The first word was to preach. This word is to enlighten. Um, what, he, what, what he's saying is the first one was about the content of, of the gospel. This one now is about the condition of those who need to hear the gospel. And what's the condition of those of us or those who are outside Christ? Darkness. They're in darkness. You know, when, when Jesus was born, they celebrated the fact that those sitting in darkness, that's not physical darkness, that's moral darkness. Those sitting in darkness have seen a great light. Um, when Paul was called, um, Paul, Paul, call, God's call on Paul was that he was going to go and open the eyes of the Gentiles so that they might see the glory of Christ. What's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tell us? One of the works of Satan is. It says, one of the works of Satan is to blind the minds of the unbelieving so they will not see Christ. So one of the things that we have the amazing privilege of doing is to lighten, to bring light to people about the amazing things that God can do for them in Jesus Christ. 
to, you know, and, and what, are these, what are some of these verses that say that we are, to be the, we are to be lights in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation? So we are, by our very lives, to do what Paul was doing. We are to bring light to dark places by our words, by our attitudes, by our actions. We are to bring light to these dark places. And in verse 8, it was to the Gentiles. Here it is to, now it's everyone. Everybody, Jews and Gentiles, need to know this mystery of God that's now been revealed. That we are to be one big happy family because of what God has done for us in Christ. I was thinking as I was sitting in my study the last couple of weeks, working through some of this, um, just my heart was filled with gratitude and thankfulness for those people that preached to me. For those people that God used to bring light to my life. How about you? Have you ever reflected on that as you look back in, in the past before you became a Christian and thought, wow, I was, I was so thankful for that guy on the beach that came up to me when I was a rebel and just said, can I share Christ with you? I am, I am just so thankful for uh, people at camp who came along and saw me in my rebellious state and said, you know, Paul, we just want you to know that God loves you and we're going to be praying for you. And, and others that, that were part of, of God using to preach to me and to enlighten me so that I might come to know the unsearchable riches of Christ and come to know the mystery of God. I think that in itself is something to fill our hearts with gratitude even this afternoon as you go home from here if you're a Christian. To say, thank you, God, for sending somebody into my life. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know God. You, you, haven't, you don't know him yet. You, you, Christ for you is distant. And you're, you're wrestling with this stuff. And you've been to church two or three times and you're still not sure about all that's going on. Why don't you maybe just pray and say, God, I'm still wrestling with this stuff. I'm tr- trying to figure it out. Would you send somebody along that maybe will speak to me and help me understand what it is that I need to know? will help me kind of get out of this darkness and help me um, figure out how I can get free from these things that are enslaving me. And I know that God will send somebody your way to preach the gospel to you and to lighten up your life so that you might see the amazing things that God has for you in Christ. And the third thing that he says, and this is, this is just outstanding stuff to my mind, in, in verse 10. See what he says in verse 10 there? He says, um, uh, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. We, here, together, are a testimony to the spiritual powers and authorities around us of the amazing wisdom of God that takes people who hate Him and people who hate others and reconcile them together into one family. And, and, and that, we church, are a living example of the power of God and the wisdom of God to bring that about. I, I said last week, and I, I say it again, salvation is just not about me. This plan of salvation is about bringing you and me, individuals, into this amazing family. And one of the things that we do then is we are a living um, um, story of the wisdom of God. Now, I don't know uh, who, in fact, he's, uh, or I'm not entirely uh, positive in, in who these um, uh, mist or authorities and powers are. Some people will tell you they're the demonic world. And so Satan and, and those who are in, 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 uh, in, re- sent to the pit, um, that this is a declaration to them of the power of God. I think Ephesians um, uh, chapter 6 would maybe lean us that way. But then you go to um, Peter, and Peter tells us that the angels 
are looking out over heaven and are blown away by what God is doing with mankind. That, that even from the angels, they had no clue about what God was up to. This mystery of salvation, this mystery of, of taking people who rebelled against God and people who were divided, even the angels didn't understand what was going on. And I think if, if, if Satan and his forces had understood that, they would have never killed Christ because they would have known what would have resulted from that. So the mystery was kept even from them until now Paul is going around preaching it and all of a sudden Satan is just, well, it says that he's enraged in, in um, Revelation chapter 13 because he knows he's lost. And I was thinking, how many times the angels in heaven, um, God had to restrain them, particularly when God became a man and came to earth and, and, and I'm sure maybe as a little baby and he was looking, was starting to walk and he was going to fall and they wanted to fly down from heaven and stop him from falling so he wouldn't skin his knee because this was God after all. And then as he sort of grew and got older and then he was in the temple and people wanted to kill him and the angels were saying, God, let me at them. I'll stop them. And then when they get to the last week of Christ's life and uh, he's getting he's getting. Uh, a crown stuck on his head and he's getting nails driven through his hand and he's getting beaten and he's getting mocked. I, can, I, I think I could just picture the angels just on the edge of heaven, not knowing the mystery of God, not knowing what God is up to, not knowing how the wisdom of God would be revealed through the death of his son and just wanting to get down there and God saying, no, I know what I'm doing. Just hang on. And then all of a sudden, now with Christ raised and Christ ascended, the mystery has been revealed. And this amazing plan of salvation now displays to the cosmic forces the wisdom of God. That for me is stunning. And Paul just found it a great privilege to be able to tell people about um, Jesus Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ. He thought it a great privilege to open people's eyes to get them out of their darkness. He felt it a great privilege to be part of a church and to get the message across to the principalities and the authority that God knows what. He's doing. Then we come to the last couple of verses here, um, 3 to 11. And uh, I, I just sort of wrote, thanks be to God for his eternal purpose. Thanks be to God for his eternal purpose. In verse 11, it says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I, I wish I, I could bring all of you to the point where I am increasingly at in my life. Um, in, in resting in the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. And maybe some of you are so much farther ahead than me. But I have increasingly realized that I can submit my life to a God who controls everything, to a God who makes no mistakes, to a God who controls this whole world, good and bad, to a God who knows the beginning from the end, to a God who has a purpose that he is working out in my life and in this world. And that's part of what Paul is saying here, is he's saying, you know, the church is not plan B or C. The church is God's only plan. The church is God's only plan from the foundation of the world. That God all along has wanted to, be a, wanted to create a one new humanity, one group of people, one family that would, that would worship him and that would serve him and that would, 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 would work with him in the new heavens and the new earth for his glory and his, his honor. And that's been his whole purpose. And I am so thankful that when my life even seems out of control, I know that God is in control. And so he says there that this was according to the eternal purpose and plan of God. And he, he adds there 
he adds there in, in verse 12, I think one of, the, one of the most beautiful verses on prayer. He says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. See, the eternal plan of God, if we can even be as simple as this, the eternal plan of God involved giving us access to God. That's amazing. That, that, that the God who we offended, the God who we rebelled against, the God who we rejected, the God who we said, get out of my life, the God who we said, I'll do it my way, that that God has worked in such a way to turn around my circumstances and see how wrong I was and how loving and just and righteous he was and now has made it possible for me to come boldly into his presence. Boldness means without fear. Boldness, boldness means to, uh, to, to have no apprehension. Boldness means, in a sense, to have no doubt that when I walk into his presence, I'll be, uh, I, I, there's no chance that I'll be rejected. Isn't that amazing? Do you ever take that for granted? And, and just kind of lightly flitter into God's presence and, 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 and do it when you've, got, um, when you've just rebelled against him that day or that week? But we have boldness because of what Christ has done for us. And not only do we have boldness, but we have this access. We have privileged access. We don't have any little card that we have to stick in. We don't have any little special sign that we need to do. We don't have any private membership. Anybody who is in Christ has access to God anytime, place. And here's Paul in prison. He can't talk to anybody. He can't talk to his friends. He can't talk to his colleagues. He can't talk to his fellow workers. But he can talk to God. He can talk to his father. He has access. And not only that, he has confident access. In other words, loved ones, the more you practice prayer, the more you you practice coming into the presence of God, it's kind of like riding a bike. The first time you ride a bike, often you have training wheels on it and, you know, you're not kind of too sure. And then you take the training wheels off and, you you know, you kind of wobble up and down the street. But then you get good like one of my sons used to be good. And he used to come home and tell us that he had just jumped off such and such a roof on his bike. Because um, he was doing that mountain bike stuff and he'd be launching all over the place. Well, he had confidence. He, he knew that he could drop 12 feet and still live to talk about it. But that comes with practice. Well, that's the same thing that happens with us in prayer. That the more we understand who we are in Christ, the more we come into God's presence um, day in, day out, the more that we, we, no matter what our circumstances and situations, come into God's presence, we develop this amazing confidence through Christ who gives us access to God. And so then as we think about this, then uh, just as we wrap it up, two, two kind of closing thoughts. When bad things happen, loved ones, remember God has a plan. When bad things happen, remember God has a plan. Paul, it could have been Paul in jail. Um, you know, it, it could be um, you end up in, in a hospital room, and I've, I've talked to a number of people in this church who have been in hospital, and God has opened up amazing doors for them to share the gospel with somebody in a bed beside them. Um, when bad things happen, God has a plan. Uh, you know, and he says to these, um, to these uh, uh, Christians here, he says, I don't want you to lose heart at what I'm going through. Because they might have been thinking, oh, God, you've really messed up this time. Oh, God, you, you know, you've, Paul, you've been telling us about a God of power, but you can't even keep your own servant out of jail. He says, no, no, I, I want you to know that, that God is in control, that God has a plan, And the reason that I am in jail is for your glory. It's for your good. That God has a purpose in my being a prisoner 
at this particular time. And so we, we think about that, that when, when, when life gets, uh, when bad things remember, remember that God has a plan. So loved ones, as you go home today, you know, um, I, I want us, and the men's course did such a good job at this, and often our, our thankfulness, and it's a right thing, is associated with physical things. And that's good to be thankful for the physical things because they too come into our lives because of God. But spend a little bit of time this afternoon being thankful for the spiritual blessings that you have. For the things that God has done for you in Christ Jesus. For your bold access to God. For the fact that he lightened up your heart to see Christ. For the fact that, that he has shown you what are some of the or unsearchable riches of Christ. To, to, to reflect on the fact that God's plan means that you are part of his great family. Spend a little time just saying thank you God for what you have done in my life spiritually.